This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Thank you so much for the kind introduction. I would like to say how pleasantly surprised I am of the Hatzlacha uh, that the Shiva has had over its uh, short career, but I'm not surprised. I was Zoycha uh, to be at one of the early open houses, and we knew where it was headed. Baruch Hashem, for those who know, the Rosh Yeshiva, Rabbi Apichinsky, Rabbi Wasser, we, uh, we kind of expected this. Baruch Hashem, the Deshmaya, the Yeshiva should have continued Hatzlacha, and I'm very grateful to the Rosh Yeshiva for giving me a few moments just, just, just to share some personal thoughts about the role of Masifta in the lives of uh, your children, the role of these formative years in uh, the lives of your sons and in your own lives. So I want to share with you this evening three brief thoughts. After Yaakov Avinu spent 22 years in the house of Lavan, and now he's headed back finally to his parents' house. So Chazal say, at the end of Parshish Vayetzeh, Yaakov Avinu, by Yifku Boy Malachei he encounters the angels of God. So Rashi's bothered, who exactly are these Malachim? So Rashi says, these are the Malachim of Eretz Yisrael that came out to greet Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu was in the house of Lavan, and now he's going to Eretz Yisrael. And the Malachim of Eretz Yisrael are coming to greet Yaakov Avinu. Comes the Ramban. And the Ramban asks one basic question. What do you mean Malachim of Eretz Yisrael? Yaakov Avinu is nowhere near Eretz Yisrael. This is the end of Parshas Vayetzeh. In Vayishlach, Yaakov Avinu crosses Maver Yaboik. Maver Yaboik is in, on the border of the land of Amon. That means he has to cross the land of Amon, the land of Moab, the land of Edom, and only toward the end of Ayishlach does he first get to Eretz Yisrael. So what are the Malachim of Eretz Yisrael coming, greeting Yaakov Avinu hundreds of miles before he's anywhere near Eretz Yisrael? That's Ramban's Kashi. So the Maral answers in the Gorarie with a very important principle. Yaakov Avinu, in fact, was nowhere near Eretz Yisrael. However, Yaakov Avinu turned in the direction of Eretz Yisrael. He's headed toward Eretz Yisrael. And in Yiddishkeit, in the eyes of Hashem, in the eyes of the Torah, a person is not viewed where they are. A person is viewed where they're headed, in the direction that they take. So it doesn't matter that Yaakov Inu is very far from Eretz Yisrael, nowhere near Eretz Yisrael, but he's in the direction of Eretz Yisrael. And the Rebbe Shalom views somebody based on where they're headed, not based on where they are. So in mathematical terms, Judaism is a vector, not a scalar. It's a function of direction and not position. And as much as we try to remind ourselves of this idea, and as important as this idea is, this is the most important concept when it comes to the four years of Masifta. You know, there's a phenomenon out there that what's Masifta? Stuff the kids with as much information as possible, teach them as many blot gemar as possible, throw out as many mefarshim as possible. So this way they come out of Masifta knowing Mamashavelt. There's such a phenomenon out there. But as untrue as that concept is in general, it is specifically completely inappropriate when it comes to Masifta. Because the job of Masifta is not the position of the child, it's the direction of the child. Where is the child headed? How can the child be best equipped to be positioned in a, in a way that in 10 years, in 20 years, in 30 years, he's equipped with the tools and the wherewithal 
to be successful in learning, to be successful in whatever endeavor he undertakes, to be able to navigate the challenges of life. And uh, this is really one of the hallmarks of a Masifta called Torah, where it's not a matter of the position of the child, it's a matter of the direction. How can your son, how can your little child, who's now a young man, be put in the right direction so that he can have a successful career learning and whatever he chooses to do with the rest of his life? This past Shabbos, I had the opportunity to speak in middle America. I won't say exactly where I was. It was an extremely, it was a modern uh, community, very modern community. And the rabbi was telling me some interesting stories. And he told me about one notable Jewish philanthropist, who you all know, but I'm not going to mention it because we're at a yeshiva gathering. And, and this philanthropist is not Shomer Tarmitzvah, is not Shomer Shabbos, and you wouldn't have thought that he has given over the years so much money to tzedakos and Torah institutions and Jewish causes. And the rabbi told him he gave his Shabbos Haggadah Drasha or Shabbos Shuvah Drasha about what kept this guy connected. He was not observant in any way. And the reason why he had such a warm heart toward Yiddishkeit and he gave millions of dollars is because his high school rebbe kept a kesher with him all the years. And that was the main reason why he was one of the major uh, supporters of Tyre in America. Now, I'm not going to say who is. You could try to figure it out. I could tell you a different time. His high school rebbe was Rav Moshe Feinstein, Zechotak Lebracha. And the relationship he had with Rav Moshe is the main catalyst to keep this person connected to Tyre. He wasn't Sharm Tarmasos. But can that, otherwise, he would have been giving... Uh, I once went to the Bronx Zoo, and there was a section of the zoo. Somebody gave $30 million. A Jewish person gave $30 million to a chilek of the Bronx Zoo. So otherwise, he may have given the money to the aquarium. He gave it to yeshivas because of his connection to his rabbi. So that's another very important thing. Yes, the learning is important, and the halacha is important. But maybe, maybe more important than all of that is... Will your son be connected to a Rebbe that in five years, in 10 years, in 20 years, he could look back and say, you know what? I'm going to take this question to my ninth grade Rebbe, my 10th I still feel the Kesha with him. I still feel the connection to him. That, in today's day and age, is possibly, probably, likely one of the greatest safety nets that we could offer our children. And that's what the yeshiva is providing us. I know Rabbi Yapachinsky, Rabbi Wasser, for, I don't know, decades I only learned in Yeshiva Chafetz Chaim a very long time. You, you'll get scared if I tell you how long I was there. So let's just say I was there for quite a while. And uh, that's the hallmark of the Yeshiva. I look back at my high school Rabbeim, and till today, if I have a question, I have taken it to ninth grade Rebbe, 10th grade Rebbe, because uh, that's the approach of the Yeshiva. That's what the Yeshiva is uh, offering us. One last thought. I'm a big fan of Rabbi Beryl Wine. Very interesting personality. Very colorful personality. Very diversified. He was a Rav, a Rosh Hashiva, historian, journalist, producer. He did a lot of things in his career. He likes to tell over the story that when he was 11 years old, uh, after World War II, 
His father says, Beryl, Beryl was a Ben Yachi. He says, Beryl, we're going to uh, the airport. Who's in the airport? Chicago Midway Airport coming from Palestine is the first chief rabbi of Palestine, Rabbi Isaac Halevi Herzog Zechasak Levrach. I just saw his kever. I was in our show last week in the Sanhedria, um, based Akvaris. And Rabbi Herzog was a very aristocratic personality. He knew many languages. He knew many disciplines. Actually, he never attended university in his life. He got a degree, closed up in his house. His father never let him leave the house. Anyway, he had all kinds of doctorates. And he comes off the plane, and he's wearing a, a shiny top hat. He's wearing a cane. He's holding a cane, and he has a Tanakh in his hand. And he's coming down the, uh, from the plane, and he wants to speak to the boys of the Skoki Yeshiva. And all the yeshiva bachrim in the Midwest came to hear Divrei Torah from Rabbi Isaac Halevi Herzog. And Rabbi Wein says he remembers the room was packed, the room was crowded, and Rabbi Herzog gets up to speak, and he gave a 45-minute pilpul shir in Yiddish. Rabbi Wein said, yeah, I remember everything he spoke about. And then when the shir was over, Rabbi Herzog turns to the young men, and he says, I would like to have a few words with you. He said, I just had audience with the Pope in Rome. And I came to the Pope with a list of 10,000 Jewish boys and girls who were delivered to monasteries, to churches, to Christian institutions during World War II. Because the parents didn't think they would ever, ever be able to keep their kids alive. The parents didn't think that their children would survive. And I came to the Pope and I told the Pope, okay, here are the names of these 10,000 children. I have them documented. I have the addresses. I have the homes where we put them. Give them back. They're our children. And the Pope looks at the list. says, I can't even give you back one child. All of these 10,000 children, they've all been formally baptized. They've all been converted. And you know our religion states that once a child is converted, we can never give them back. Rav Herzog was escorted out of the door. They slammed the door on his face. And I happen to have heard the story firsthand because my grandfather met Rabbi Herzog in the DP camps after the war. And Rabbi Herzog says, I just came back from speaking to the Pope. And Rabbi Herzog says, I came straight to Chicago. And he puts his head down on the lectern and he weeps bitterly. He says, there's nothing I could do for these 10,000 Jewish children. He says, young men, what are you going to do for the future of the Jewish people? These 10,000 children are lost forever. But what are you going to do for the future of Kuala Yisrael? And Rabbi Wein said he was never so scared in his entire life. And then they all filed by Rabbi Herzog and he shook each one of their hands and he looked them in the eye and he said, remember what I told you. Don't ever forget. What are you going to do for the future of the Jewish people? And Rabbi Wein says sometimes in life he's tired, he's disheartened, he's discouraged and he hears Rabbi Herzog's words ringing in his ears. What are you going to do for the future of the Jewish people? And that's sort of a clarion call of this yeshiva, really founded on Yeshiva Chafetz Chaim, where, yes, we're all Shomrei Taro Mitzvahs, 
We all have our sedarim. We all learn. But do we feel the responsibility, the achrayas that we have to our families, to our communities, and to all of Kali It's not a matter of being a Rav, a Revi, a Rosh Hashiva, whatever a person chooses to do in their career, a lay leader, a businessman, whatever profession a person chooses, where are they going to get the, the feeling of achrayas and responsibility that they have to all of Kali doesn't come by itself. It's like uh, somebody wakes up in the morning, yeah, let me go out there and take responsibility for someone other than my own family. It's something that you have to learn. It's something you have to study. It's something you have to cultivate. And all who came tonight, anyone who sends to Yeshiva Kaltaira, anyone, former parents, future parents, considering parents, you should feel very proud to associate with the Yeshiva that is giving over not just for these Talmidim, but producing, as a Sashem, leaders of Klal Yisrael in whatever capacity your son should choose. So I thank you for allowing me a few moments here. I wish you all great bracha and may you all see tremendous nachas from your sons, from all of your children. Have a wonderful evening. Bracha You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.